We solved some of the major problems with proof of work, some of the major problems with proof of stake, and put it together into one of the most secure private blockchains in existence. You are listening to Bitcoin, blockchain, and the technologies of our future with Naomi Brockwell. Welcome everyone. I'm joined here by Mike Tutongi, who is the lead developer of the Verus coin. He is also a former vice president and technical fellow at Microsoft and one of the founders of Microsoft's .NET platform. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thanks for having me on, Naomi. You've had an amazing career in the tech space. I started the Microsoft uh, Java platform. I was one of the co-founders of the Microsoft.net platform. I also was CTO at Parallels. And right now you're working on a really exciting project that I'm actually delighted has just become a sponsor of my show. Verus Coin is the fork of Komodo. Talk me through Verus. Verus is actually the most advanced blockchain when it comes to zero-knowledge privacy technologies. And we've layered on top of that arguably the most secure consensus algorithm that is a hybrid of proof of work and proof of stake that solves the problem of a 51% hash attack and goes further to also solve the problem of nothing at stake for proof of stake. Think of us as a bit of a blend of Komodo and Zcash because recently Zcash uh, came out with Sapling and that is now widely considered the most advanced uh, privacy oriented cryptographic technology on blockchains. We are the only coin to really blend uh, sapling with the ability to have um, these smart contracts or these crypto conditions. Before sapling, Zcash was uh, one of the um, family of coins that use what's called zero knowledge proofs. And they're a form of technology, a form of cryptography where you can prove that the calculations you've done and that what you are representing is in fact true, but you don't have to disclose any of the information that went into the thing that you're proving. And so that's why it's called zero knowledge. There really is mathematically no way that knowledge of the things that are private can leak. So we started off with an incredibly private uh, coin because it had Zcash technologies. We did actually move a little closer to the original Zcash protocol um, when we forked from Komodo. And so it made our, our protocol uh, just a little more private than, than base Komodo. And then we did some fundamental advances and we, we came out with our own uh, cryptographic proof of work hash algorithm. And that enabled CPUs to mine the coin at first, just like in the early days of Bitcoin. It makes it easier for an average computer to mine it because you don't need super fancy hardware. So it helps the decentralization of the mining. Exactly. Because of the algorithm that we developed and the fact that it uses what is the absolute fastest cryptographic hash algorithm on CPUs in the world um, for short inputs, and we adapted that to be uh, suitable for cryptocurrency, um, the GPU miners are actually uh, competitive, not just uh, crushing the CPU miners. So they really both actually get to mine uh, the coin. We created a hybrid consensus algorithm that is a mixture of proof of work and proof of stake. Talk me through this hybrid system. When you're working with proof of work blockchains, 
you know, the truth of the chain is determined by whoever has the most hash power to mine that chain. And, and in order to always make sure that as lots of people around the world are mining a chain, that you're using the valid, true main chain, um, there is a rule that everyone follows, which is to always choose the chain that has the most work put into it. And so what we did is we extended that idea a little bit and we created chain power as 50% of the work that goes into the chain and 50% of the stake. So people are at all times both mining and staking in order to create and validate new blocks and add these new blocks to the blockchain. And because of that, if someone comes along and says, well, we would want to 51% attack your chain. And the basic idea is they get so much power to mine the chain and to add blocks that they end up effectively being able to determine what is accepted as the true chain. And, you know, with a proof of work chain, it's really just a matter of how much computing, you know, power you've got to throw at it, how much work you have to throw at it. And, and so Komodo came along and they did something very interesting, this delayed proof of work, where, where they have notaries that then at, at checkpoints along the way, the notaries will say, this is the real chain. And they will notarize that statement all the way into the Bitcoin blockchain. And, and so now if someone wants to attack the chain and create another version with more work that they want people to accept Nobody's going to accept that going back past that notarization unless that same attacker is able to take over the Bitcoin blockchain and take over the Komodo blockchain. They actually have to have you know, 51% hash power for Bitcoin and for Komodo and it just becomes crazy. But then you guys added something else on top of that. They also have <laughs> to have 50% of the various coins in existence. Exactly. So it's a pretty, pretty major... Um, advance and it's running and live on the network today with an actual proof to actually say, okay, these are the statements that we make about this algorithm and this is why it's true. And people will be able to look at that and understand both intuitively and also academically that this is in fact true. So walk me through some of the weaknesses of just having a purely proof of stake model. This uh, kind of infamous proof of stake problem called the nothing at stake problem. If you are trying to validate with your stake and you're trying to win the chance to validate the next block in the chain and you see two different versions of the chain that are floating around on the peer-to-peer -peer network the nothing at stake argument says that it is to your advantage to not choose between them it is to your advantage to um to stake on both of those chains and then to broadcast both of those chains because if one wins you get your stake and if the other wins you get your stake but what just happened you actually did not help the network at all figure out which is the right chain in right. fact you kind of perpetuated the problem i presume when they when they stake on something they get rewarded for doing that kind of like a lottery ticket on this block did your number win the block and if your number did win the block, 
then in fact, it's just like mining. You package up a block of transactions, you submit them, and you get the same block reward as a miner would get. The key is that if you happen to have two different chains and the network is trying to figure out, you know, oh, these, you know, we got two different versions, which is the right version? There's nothing at stake, um, theory says, that if you weren't penalized, if you could get away with it, and instead of choosing just one, you choose all the different versions you see. Then you're just hedging your bets. It seems like that a likelihood you'll win and yeah. Right, we can't stop the software from running like that. You know, we can't go to the client because it's completely decentralized. Like people can do whatever they want, but there's a protocol and there are a set of rules. So if someone decides, you know, I'm gonna ignore the uh, Varus coin rules about double staking, and I'm going to stake on every chain that I see. Do they actually then forfeit the reward that they otherwise would have been given? Yes, it's pretty much exactly like that. What they've done is they have signed proof that they were staking their coins on both of those chains. Now, normally in a blockchain, the only thing that matters is the one that becomes the real chain. The other one just might as well just vaporize, it's gone, right? Well, it doesn't quite work that way on the Verus blockchain because when a wallet sees these two chains, and they break down the one they think is invalid. They take all of the staking transactions and they just save them. And now when they find the one that's valid, they take those saved staking transactions and they look and they say, are any of the transactions on the valid chain using the same stake that the transactions from that invalid chain that we just broke down were using? And if they are, then the wallet takes the transaction that is, the, that is spending the same stake to prove that you have control of it. And it actually creates a spend transaction to your own address, which is actually a private address, so nobody actually knows who you are. Mm -hmm. But it embeds the proof of double staking, which is that signed transaction spending the same stake, it embeds it right in the transaction, and then it goes to spend it. And then the, the blockchain uses this crypto condition technology and says, is it signed by the original staker? And if it is, then it's fine. They'll allow the spend. But if it's not, then the next question is, does it contain proof that this was a double stake? And it evaluates that cryptographically, makes sure all the signatures are correct, and that it's a real signed transaction that would have been a stake on a failed chain. And if it is all correct, but not for this chain, then it actually allows the spend. And in that case, it doesn't go to the staker. So then it's up for grabs. So who does it, who does it go to? Uh, it goes to whoever's vigilant protecting against double stakes on the network. So there's a huge disincentivization for someone to stake on something that they don't think is the real chain. By doing that, they just give up their real opportunity to make a reward with the stake if they would have just simply chosen. It is part of the software 
that it is always looking for rule breakers that do this. This is something we're really excited about because as far as we know, nobody has anything like this. And, and it's really using this, uh, you know, this smart transaction, this crypto conditions in a way that's at the fundamental consensus level. It's really, it's really exciting just because of what capabilities it opens up for the future. Our goal is to make a platform that is public, fair launch, but able to run public applications. We call the uh, primary capability public blockchains as a service, which you can think of as automatically created blockchains that are created as needed for an application that we're trying to run, for some kind of permanent records, for voting. We're not big believers that one single you know, blockchain in the world running many, many, many different applications and they're all using kind of this one single blockchain. We, we don't think that's really the model that's gonna scale, and I don't think anyone does. People are talking about sharding or all these. Well, what if instead of sharding, make a new blockchain when needed for the poll? Making your own blockchain and provisioning it and setting it up and doing, there's work involved. When you want to create a public blockchain as a service, you will post your transaction to do so on the Verus blockchain. And then participants that are um, node operators, miners, and stakers will see your offer to your transaction, which is using these crypto conditions to create a blockchain for your application. You post the transaction, somebody provisions the start of the blockchain for you, there's a validation process. Did they do it correctly? Can you really connect? Can you use that blockchain? And all of that is cryptographically proven if it works. And once it's proven, you use that proof to spend your reward for helping that person create their blockchain. So imagine a poll, which is better, dogs or cats? When people come to vote in your poll, they need a little bit of money on this side chain. They need, they need a little bit of the currency from this cat or dog polling chain in order to use it with the polling application. You can actually just send them a little bit each to vote in your poll. No one without the currency of that poll chain will be able to use that poll chain. Then nobody who isn't authorized to use the chain could even interfere with it. This public blockchains as a service uses the same kind of totally decentralized um, transaction processing to actually provision, create, and make available for use in applications completely new blockchains that are secured with all of the same infrastructure and then notarized into the Verus chain to benefit from all of its underlying security as well, just like we were talking about um, the delayed proof of work earlier. This idea that, oh, well, you go, you could have infinite number of blockchains. People hear that and they think, well, that's ridiculous. You have a new blockchain, then you need a huge amount of hash power. Otherwise, it's going to be insecure and you're susceptible to 51% attacks. And, and so no one's really thinking in terms of like, oh, we could have all of these different blockchains for all these different purposes. Uh, but what was fascinating about Komodo and fascinating about Verus is that it's all notarized to larger chains. So the Komodo platform was actually notarized to the Bitcoin blockchain, which 
which means that it's kind of piggybacking off all of the hash power. Varus is, is piggybacking on the Komodo blockchain for that same reason. So the idea is that you could have infinite number of alternative blockchains for your poll about cats and dogs or your poll about something else, uh, but then you notarize it to the Varus blockchain, which in turn notarizes to Komodo, to, to Bitcoin, and you're basically leveraging the tremendous amount of hash power from that original blockchain. These blockchains may just live for the life of a vote or a poll because there's really no necessarily no reason to keep them alive as a currency, but they still have that function as a blockchain. So they can be created, they can serve their purpose, you know, and then they can have the results notarized as part of the application back into Varus, which is then, as you said, notarized all the way through. And, and basically this way we get, um, you know, very secure, uh, permanent records. And because we have the privacy, this zero knowledge privacy, if it's a really serious election, we have a model that enables completely confidential, completely verifiable, and completely transparent polls and elections. Everyone can audit the results. You will be able to verify that your vote was not just in and among the final results, but it was accurately there and it was exactly what you voted. Do you think that we're going to see voting on the blockchain in the future in like political elections, for example? Yes, but I know that that's a very controversial um, viewpoint right now. Mm -hmm. And I also have seen a lot of FUD. The reason that I'm working on this and so many of the people across the community are working on this is because we know that in fact we're creating something that will enable confidential, verifiable, and transparent polls and elections. I think most of the public would like to live in a world where these things are not opaque. There are certainly some people who would prefer that they are opaque. And some of the people who would prefer that they are opaque are going to sow and spread fud and confusion, and that's just the way these things work. People can use it to ask questions of whole populations of people and get real answers. And that's something that if you don't have a market research um, organization behind you, it's really not a tool that we've had, you know, as the public to date. You could imagine market research companies using this kind of technology to incentivize people to give them answers to questions that might be hard to get answers to. And questions where people don't want to give up their data as well. Exactly. People are wary of taking any sort of survey. I mean, if you sign up to a new account, there's always that trade-off of, do I sign through Google or do I set up an entirely new account <laughs> uh, with a different password? Keeping in mind that whenever you go through a different platform like Google, they taking all of your information. Whenever you're using Facebook, they're taking all of it. What Veris is really solving, it's, it's giving a way uh, for people to have a voice, for people to actually collect data as well, but without jeopardizing the privacy of people's identity. The first step is you can participate in polls and elections. You'd still have a validation process where they would give you the right to participate in it in exchange for validating who you are. But over time, we actually fully intend to make it possible to select across uh, users of the blockchain by demographic information that people would choose to share about themselves. And that can be validated because identity and, and, uh, and strong identity over time will, without giving up privacy is one of our longer term goals. We need the most secure foundation that technology allows, the most secure 
decentralized foundation that technology allows. And that's what we believe we have with Veris. You actually have the, one of the lead developers, creators of Komodo, JL777, as an advisor to Veris. There seems to be this very tight-knit community who very much believes in the technology you're building. We talk with JL777 on a regular basis, and this is all open source. And you know they've created a lot of open source technology that we're leveraging. Some of our technologies we think are extremely unique. And if people want to take them from our open source, it's there. If the whole Komodo ecosystem is stronger and attracts other innovative problem-solving projects, over time, it's just going to grow and become better, faster. We're working hard to be a, a strong member of that ecosystem with the goal of making the most secure, most private uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency in existence. It's been really exciting watching the Veris platform grow. You guys are doing some awesome work. Where can people go if they want to find out more information? Veriscoin.io. Visit our community on Discord. It's a big, vibrant community of people who care about what we're doing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. As I said, I'm really excited to see what happens next. And thanks for being a part of my platform as well. It's just really great to have such a a great platform that I have a lot of respect for uh, involved. So thank you very much. Thank you, Naomi. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. For extra material and any links mentioned in this podcast, please visit naomibrockwell.com. If you'd like to watch the video version, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute or DTube. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future.